This is Inside Politics, Election 2022. I'm Steve Harrison. If you followed North Carolina politics at all in the last decade, then you know that gerrymandering has been an especially contentious issue in politics and in the courtroom, as numerous versions of Republican maps have been thrown out. The most recent example was in February. The North Carolina Supreme Court overturned a lower court ruling that approved the General Assembly's legislative and congressional maps. Lawmakers then revised those maps. The new legislative districts were approved, but new congressional districts were not. A special master's congressional map was instead approved for the 2022 elections. Legislative leaders argue they have the right to make congressional districts as they see fit, under a legal doctrine known as the independent legislature theory. State courts, they argue, have no authority in federal districts. Joining me now is co-host Jim Morrill. Thank you, Steve. We have two guests today to talk about this important issue. Senate Minority Leader Dan Blue will join co-host Tim Funk in the second half of Inside Politics to make the case against the independent legislature theory. But first, we're going to talk to an attorney who supports the theory. Jeanette Dorn is the president and general counsel for the North Carolina Institute for Constitutional Law. She joins us now. Welcome, Jeanette. Thank you for having me. First, uh, this is complicated. Help us understand what this case is all about. What is the independent state legislature theory? Really, it's just a plain reading of what the U.S. Constitution provides. If we look at the Constitution where it talks about how we elect members of Congress, it states very, very clearly that the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives, that's congressional representatives, shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, uh, except as to the places of choosing senators. So the, the U.S. Constitution very clearly states that legislatures pick the time, place, and manner of congressional elections. What's happening now is legislators in North Carolina have asked the U.S. Supreme Court does legislatures really mean the legislative body of North Carolina, or does it mean a group of activist judges on our state Supreme Court? Well, the Constitution's been around for a long time. The independent state legislature theory is, I know, as I have come to believe, is has not been around that long. Why are Republicans pushing this now? You know, I'd, I'd agree with those folks who say it's a novel idea or that it hasn't been around long, but then we'd both be wrong. The fact of the matter is the independent state legislature doctrine, sometimes called the independent state legislature theory, has what Professor uh, Morley, who is a, a common law professor, what he described in a law review article as a long and often overlooked history. And we know that it was written about in legal treatises back in the 1800s. So this is not new despite what certain groups want to lead the public to believe. Well, this, this as I understand it, would take state courts out of the, out of the process for laws involving voting rights and elections, uh, for federal elections anyway. Um, doesn't this take away one of the checks and balances that we have in our system? No, because the Constitution provides for a check and balance, and that check and balance is Congress. I've noticed one of the things I tend to read about in both popular media and even in some blogs that cater to lawyers is they're reading the argument that the 
the redistricting should be left to the state legislatures, but they don't bother to read the rest of that clause, which also says, but the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, meaning those governing elections. So that is the express check and balance on whatever a a state legislature might do. So what about, uh, so state courts would be out of the picture. What about federal courts? Would they still have a voice in a redistricting map, for example? To the extent that there is a specific U.S. constitutional provision at play, then they, they would be. And you can contrast that with what we have out of our state Supreme Court. They really didn't hinge their decision on very concrete election provisions or really very concrete constitutional provisions. They took these sort of nebulous things like the single sentence in the state constitution, all elections shall be free. And they decided that what that really meant was free and fair. And then they decided further that they would be the arbiters of what's fair. So we're talking about uh, changes that could affect federal elections, right? Not state. So the News and Observer, for one, said this could cause massive confusion and even lead to different rules about state and federal voting during the same election. Is it? Do you think that would happen? I think it would be fairly unlikely, but you know, it, it would depend on exactly what the decision coming out of the U.S. Supreme Court is. It would depend further on how the state wanted to handle its state-level elections. But practical implications are not, they're not off limits from consideration, but really what controls is the text of the Constitution itself, which very clearly states that the legislature meaning that the legislative body, the ordinary lawmaking processes of the state, are responsible for deciding the time, place, and manner of our federal elections. This case obviously would have national implications. Um, And North Carolina wasn't the only state whose um, state Supreme Court struck down congressional maps in the past year. It happened in in New York, Maryland, and Ohio. Um, and those maps were drawn by Democrats as well as Republicans. So would these state courts no longer have the power to interpret their own constitutions? What's important to focus on is not viewing this through the prism of what state courts are and aren't allowed to do. It should be viewed through the prism of what does the Constitution say? And the Constitution says the legislature makes these rules. And it's also important to keep in mind, this isn't just about redistricting. This particular case is, but arguments and questions concerning the authority of state legislatures over time, place, and manner of federal elections goes to a number of other things like uh, ballot receipt deadlines, the publication of election results, access to curbside voting. Those are all things that are within the umbrella of time, place, and manner of elections. So while this case is focused on redistricting, uh, the national implications are are much broader than that. So does that mean the State Board of Elections, for example, would no longer be able to set absentee ballot deadlines and do some of the other things that you were talking about, that the legislature would have have to do that? Well, they would have to do it consistent with the ordinary law-making process in North Carolina. And that is the legislature enacts laws, depending on particular wording of statutes, 
may delegate a certain authority to state board of elections. And that's a part of the ordinary process of lawmaking. What isn't an ordinary part of the process of lawmaking is the Supreme Court coming in and uh, rewriting the Constitution and then allowing the courts to come in and use special masters to draw a map that they prefer. And that's another possibility, by the way, just because we're viewing this during these discussions as as kind of an all or nothing, it would be possible for the Supreme Court to say that the state courts do get to have a say, but they don't get to draw the maps themselves. They can strike down, but not redraw. So there there are a lot of shades of gray in the opinions that come out of the Supreme Court on myriad issues. And this could very well be that that kind of case. Well, let me ask you about a specific example. Uh, North Carolina passed an, a voter ID law years ago, um, which is now stuck in court. Uh, I think uh, uh, just last year, a state judge said that the law violates the state constitution. So if the high court votes with the conservatives in Moore, does that mean that the voter ID requirement would become law despite the state court? I, I think it would really depend on what the Supreme Court articulates in this case. Because again, there's there's a wide variety of outcomes that could we could see unfold. You know, a lot of people say that this could affect uh, future presidential elections. Uh, Michael Luddig, as you know, is a former Republican federal judge. He called the independent state legislature theory, quote, part of a Republican blueprint to steal the 2024 election. Is he wrong? I would not say that. I mean, I, I would not agree with Judge Ludic. I, I have a great deal of respect for him, but I, I think he's wrong on this point. Uh, I think what this is, and again, this is not a new or novel idea. People who oppose it keep wanting to say this came out of a Justice Chief Justice Rehnquist's opinion in, to, in the 2000 election. But not only did we see it in treatises going back to the 1800s, we saw it in cases in state Supreme Courts uh, in the 30s and 40s, electors for president clause and the congressional elections clause. They're similarly worded with that term about by the legislature, that phrase by the legislature. And Jeanette, hey, this is Steve Harrison. I wanted to jump in for a second. Earlier, you said that uh, the judges on the state Supreme Court were activist judges. Why did you say that? And then the second part, couldn't you say the same thing of the judges on the U.S. Supreme Court? Um, well, I wouldn't. First of all, I wouldn't say that all of the judges on the state Supreme Court are. We had um, three justices who who tried their darndest to adhere faithfully to the language of the Constitution and the role of the courts. I'll be honest with you. I very often am uncomfortable with the label judicial activist because I think that tends to mean what someone wants it to mean. But I think what we're seeing at the state court level is, as I pointed out, you know, they, they took a, f- a single sentence in the state constitution, and this is just an example, all elections shall be free. And then in their mind, they added on this other language and fair, and then they decided what would be fair, and then they decided the maps that would satisfy that criteria. Um, that's several steps. I mean, that's practically a, a foxtrot across the dance floor. 
Whereas what we've seen from some of the more high-profile U.S. Supreme Court decisions that so many on the, the liberal side or progressive side have condemned is they've simply gone back to the roots of relying in the first instance on what we see in the Constitution itself. That's a stark contrast from what we saw here in North Carolina with the state Supreme Court in this decision. I, I want to ask, so what happened? So the state Supreme Court overturned that congressional map. The Republican legislature drew a new map that I believe was um, six four four, six Republican seats, four Democratic seats, four toss-ups. If that map had been accepted, um, do you think we would be here at all talking about the uh, this theory and taking this to the Supreme Court or would would the Republican legislature have been okay with that, that outcome? Um, I think had that happened, we would be here simply because I think the other side would have tried to get us here. But I, I also want to point out you know, the defendants in the case who are the Speaker of the House and President Pro Tem, the Senate, and then uh, certain legislators who hold leadership positions on committees in the redistricting process, they started raising the elections clause very early in this case, very, very early, really at the beginning. So they always had this in mind as a concern, maintaining the integrity of legislative authority, the plenary authority of the legislature to set the time, place, and manner of federal elections for Congress. Now, Jeanette, uh, North Carolina certainly been a litigious state in terms of redistricting for as long as I can remember. And, you know, it was just three years ago that the Supreme Court ruled in Rucho uh, versus Common Cause that state courts could serve as a check on partisan gerrymandering in congressional races and federal courts couldn't get involved really with that. If the Supreme Court in Moore goes with the General Assembly, won't that just lead to more gerrymandering all over the country? I don't think so. I would point out the framers were familiar with the concept. I mean, they knew that drawing districts was going to be politically charged, and that's specifically why they left it to the legislature, because the state legislature is the body most accountable to the public. That's the principal safeguard that would put a pause button on gerrymandering is the voters themselves. Let's not underestimate voters. Too many times uh, lawyers do that, politicians do it, pundits do it, media does it. Let's not do that. So that's the first block on it. The second is, again, the plain language of the Constitution would allow Congress to make or alter the time, place and manner laws that the state legislatures choose to pursue. So that's the second check. The first check being the voters, the second check being Congress. You know, we've heard a lot in the last few weeks and months about uh, slates of fake electors. Some people on the other side of this case say that it makes it more likely that uh, legislatures on either side, I guess, could kind of monkey with the elect uh, the elector system and, you know, come up with their own slates of electors um, after an election and, and basically subvert the will of the voters. What do you think? Uh, I think they're they're stretching both law and possibility. I think it's a typical scare tactic. I would submit that probably why they're scared is because the language of the Constitution is so clear. It is so compelling that their only recourse is to scream 
the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You know, if, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of legislatures and, and the independent state legislature doctrine, we're just it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. I think, again, that they are not well founded in law and are designed specifically to detract from the extremely compelling argument that the plain language of the U.S. Constitution on the time, place, and manner being committed to the legislative authority of the state. That, that's so compelling. You know, the Constitution, the provisions that you cite seem pretty clear that the legislature can do this and, and should do this. But ha- hasn't the Supreme Court in, in several rulings ruled that, this, that the legislature can be interpreted to mean the state and the state courts and state constitution? What we've usually seen, um, it, and in fact, even in a lot of the cases, opponents of independent state legislature doctrine point to things like the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission case. Several of those cases are cases where the court viewed legislature to mean the ordinary legislative process. Now, in Arizona, part of their ordinary legislative process is the initiative process by which the people created that independent commission. We don't have that here. The Supreme Court is not an ordinary part of the legislative body of North Carolina. In fact, our state constitution very clearly spells out that the legislative, executive, and judicial branches are distinct and should forever be separate. So even if the Supreme Court were in this case, and it's a big F, even if the Supreme Court were to say, well, when the elections clause says legislature, that doesn't necessarily mean just the General Assembly they would most probably rely on the concept of legislature as the uh, representative process or as the ordinary process of lawmaking. I would submit, you know, my first argument to the U.S. Supreme Court uh, would be that the legislature means exactly that. It means the General Assembly. But even if they viewed it more expansively and said, okay, but it includes anything in the ordinary lawmaking process, That would still mean that North Carolina's Supreme Court violated the U.S. Constitution because they're not part of the ordinary legislative process. They're a distinct branch. And I think that's all we have time for. But thank you so much. Uh, This is something that will keep North Carolina political reporters busy for a long time. I'm sure it will. So that was a big debrief on the independent legislature theory. Jeanette Doran feels that it is kind of narrowly focused to uh, the drawing of maps, but then others have said this has much wider implications. Jim, Tim, what'd you guys think? You know, despite the arcane references she mentioned uh, about this in the past, um, we haven't really heard about this independent state legislative theory until now, like 200 years after the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. But, you know, North Carolina Republicans being smart politicians, they know we've got a supermajority of, quote, originalists on the U.S. Supreme Court who seem enamored with how the founding fathers saw things. So it may be the perfect time for these 21st century Republicans to bring this uh, theory up. I asked her about whether this ruling could lead to more gerrymandering, more partisan gerrymandering. And she seemed to think that the voters might be a check on that. I I'd be kind of surprised if the voters heard a check on that, frankly. And if Republicans 
uh, have a supermajority or any majority in the General Assembly, or if Democrats did, you know, I think either party would be tempted sorely to uh, make the map as attractive as as they could for their own party. Yeah, we saw that, of course, here in in the first map in North Carolina, that was a, a uh, 10 3 one map or a um, uh, even 11-3 map that favored Republicans. We saw it in New York State when Democrats drew a map that heavily favored them. Uh, the courts in New York intervened just as they did in North Carolina. So, yeah, I, I do think the argument that, well, the voters will be a check on this. And that, that is kind of the cyclical argument. Well, you know, it's hard for the voters to be a check on the process when um, the maps that have been drawn are, are you know, do give one party uh, an unfair advantage. So um, that's a tough argument to to make. And I don't think this is just about maps. I mean, she mentioned ballot receipt deadlines. Um, Roy Cooper vetoed a bill that would have said uh, no mail-in votes could received after 7 p.m. on election day could be counted. So the legislature, if they had, if they could make all the rules, they could have a big uh, uh, say in who voted and, you know, which votes counted. You know, I think there would be a lot of tension between the state elections board and the general assembly, as long as the state elections board is governed by Democrats. You know, I think right now we have a three to two uh, democratic majority on the state board of elections and general assembly is controlled by Republicans. So there's natural tension there too. So if the elections board wanted to make uh, some rules about absentee voting or uh, scheduling of elections or things like that, there, there could be a, a lot of blowback from the general assembly. And I, I, I'm too, I'm curious, and we may never know as to when uh, the Republicans in Raleigh decided to move forward with this theory. I mean, I do think there was some exasperation on their part after that second map was rejected, the 644 map, um, which, you know, a lot of people feel like that was um, that was a pretty fair map and even a better map and more fair map than the one we have today. Was that for them the straw that, uh, that broke the camel's back? And now for the other side of the case, we turn to Senate Minority Leader Dan Blue, a Democrat from Raleigh. He's a longtime legislator who in the 1990s was the state's first and so far only black speaker of the North Carolina House. Welcome, Senator Blue. Oh, glad to be with you today. Thanks for inviting me. Let me start with a basic question. Why should the Supreme Court in Washington rule against House Speaker Tim Moore and the other North Carolina Republicans who are bringing this case? You're an attorney. What would you tell the justices? Well, uh, multiple things. First, uh, you know, what they're being asked to do is to basically give free reign to the legislatures across the country to redistrict uh, congressional seats any way they want to uh, without any ability uh, for checks and balances. Uh, it is one area that they would preclude the judicial branch of government from saying, okay, guys, let's play fair ball. Uh, you can do these things, but you got to be fair. That's a general concept that's underlying the American Constitution. And the fair ball, uh, in this case, is dictated by the North Carolina Constitution, which says that you can redistrict, uh, but you got to take into account the values of North Carolina as expressed by its people and the adoption of its Constitution. And its Constitution says, uh, that you have to do it in a certain way. Uh, the case that brought us to this point uh, was uh, the legislature redistricting the Congress 
doing one-sided redistricting. Uh, so that in a state with 14 congressional seats, a state that's really purple, 50-50, Democrat-Republican, uh, so that you would have 11 Republican congresspeople and three Democratic congresspeople. Well, there are provisions in the North Carolina Constitution that says that is not permitted. It's unfair uh, under the elections clause. Uh, it, it waters down some people's votes and enhance others' votes. So that's what I would tell the, the uh, Supreme Court. I think that there are you know, some certainly very strong legal arguments uh, that I would use to tell them that uh, uh, the Republicans just have it wrong on this. They're basically saying because of the federal elections clause that says the time, place, and manner of mm -hmm. holding elections for senators and representatives, that is U.S. senators and representatives, should be prescribed in each state by the state legislature thereof. Now, simple enough language, because historically legislators in this context has meant all of the lawmaking bodies in a state, uh, whatever entities make the laws or the rules, whether it's the executive branch or uh, some, some agency of the executive branch. So you mentioned the U.S. Constitution. Those words, again, are, it, are times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So the Republicans are saying, hey, those words are pretty clear. There's no mention of state courts, state constitutions, or governors. Are you trying to read more than that? Than that's there? No, that's historically what's uh, been read into it. That's uh, just uh, an endless line of Supreme Court precedents that have recognized that as what legislators mean uh, when it's used in this context. But there's another provision, uh, I think, in it, uh, him that we ought to be aware of, and I haven't reviewed all of the arguments because the issue is not really uh, had not been be before the Supreme Court until this. But it also says all the powers and duties not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the state government, the Tenth Amendment, and the power to determine time and uh, manner of holding elections is one of those powers. This was just such an outlier theory. Uh, that nobody had given it serious uh, uh, thought. But he, uh, and again, look at the context in which this comes to us. Uh, I think that nobody even gave this theory any serious thought until uh, some opinion by Chief Justice Rehnquist, maybe uh, in the 1990s, and everybody pushed it aside, put it on the shelf. It, it, it was considered a fringe theory, and it still is. A long line of United States Supreme Court cases have held uh, that the elections clause does not prevent state courts from reviewing congressional district plans. Well, as you know, uh, Chief Justice J uh, Roberts has been outvoted recently, and we now have uh, these supermajority of originalists who uh, might want to go back to the actual words of the Constitution. Are you concerned about that? Uh, I'm, I'm concerned that they granted cert, but if they were really originalists, uh, which I don't believe they are, but if they really were, uh, they would look closely at the context and the surroundings for the American Constitution uh, and understand that the thought behind the Constitution uh, w was not just words, uh, but it was aimed at specific conduct that was occurring at the time. They wanted checks and balances in these different branches of government because they knew they knew that without those checks and balances, uh, a, a legislature would run totally out of bounds. That's what history had taught us about it. Uh, I'm worried about it, uh, but I think if they're tr truly uh, originalist, uh, they would find that uh, this provision would not do away uh, with judicial review 
of X by a legislature. So, Senator, we talked with, uh, before you, we talked with Jeanette uh, Doran of the NC Institute of Constitutional Law. She said that this theory, the state legislature theory, independent state legislature theory, is actually a doctrine and that references to it are sprinkled in judicial rulings over the last 200 years. People just haven't been noticing, I guess. I, I hadn't seen them. And again, I think that uh, the idea first got attention in a 1993 opinion by uh, uh, Justice Rehnquist. Uh, I'm not familiar with it, but I'll, I'll look at it now that it's before the Supreme Court. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll certainly look more closely at the research. But even if it's had a mention uh, in those articles over the years, it is a doctrine that nobody gave a real attention to. And the amazing thing about it, that this is the exact argument that uh, former President Trump was trying to make about legislatures being able to override uh, the uh, decision of the voters with respect to their electors are, uh, because the legislators ought to be able to take a second guess about this. Uh, they go hand in hand. So one of the issues of contention is the role of state courts in redrawing new maps. Should they be drawing maps in addition to striking down maps? Well, uh, one of the interesting things is, is that uh, North Carolina state law gives the legislature the right to go back and redraw a plan that's gone bad. Uh, and then it says, if the legislature can't do it the right way, uh, then the court itself can draw districts. That's what happened uh, with the congressional map making in the last uh, cycle. Uh, the legislature had two opportunities to pass congressional district plans that passed muster under the North Carolina Constitution. Uh, they squandered each opportunity to do that. And so the, the election was getting close. And this statute that was passed by the legislature, by the way, uh, said that the uh, court had the jurisdiction and the authority uh, to draw these maps if the legislature couldn't get it right. And that power flowed from the Constitution as well, and it was the legislature's understanding that they had the authority to give the court that power. And the legislatures do have that authority. So it was pursuant to state law that the courts did it. So I'm trying to understand why they would argue that the court had no power to do it. Mm-hmm. This is this has been cast as a Republican versus Democratic issue, but actually 17 states have legislatures controlled by Democrats. And in two of them, New York and Maryland, state courts throughout the, the Democrats' congressional redistricting maps. So really, don't both parties want unfettered power to gerrymander? And, and that's what the problem is. That's why you got a referee. Because whoever has the ball uh, wants to violate the rules in trying to score the ball. That's the thought behind checks and balances. Do you think the state Supreme Court in North Carolina is uh, apolitical? They run as Democrats and Republicans. Uh, there was a widely it was widely predicted that if that the Democratic controlled Supreme Court would throw out this Republican uh, map or vice versa. If the Republicans take control next year of the court, they'll accept a new map. So are you saying they're not politicians too? Well, in North Carolina, uh, they're elected. They're not appointed. So they're mm-hmm. under additional pressures. And, uh, you, you know, we tried to address some of these issues and had legislation in North Carolina that required that judges not list their political party on the ballot. That way you elect people based on their ideas and based on how they tell you they're going to interpret the Constitution rather than what their party affiliation is. But even having said that, I believe that there's something intrinsic in most lawyers who become judges uh, of a sense of fairness. 
Uh, granted, lately, uh, a lot of partisanship has, too much partisanship has been involved in judicial decision-making. It's making people not believe in the courts. It's making them believe, uh, believe that the courts are not impartial and are not fair. And you cannot preserve a democracy if people don't believe in the arbiters of fairness uh, and believe that they're going to get a fair shake when they go into courts. Mm. Uh, that's why I still have faith in our judicial system uh, and think that after a certain point, the partisanship has to take a back seat uh, to the rule of law and the real interpretation of the Constitution. Everybody takes an oath. Everybody, the judges, the legislators, the executive branch, to uphold the Constitution of North Carolina, not inconsistent with the Constitution of the United States. So Ms. Doran, who we talked to earlier again, um, she said voters and Congress, Congress is mentioned in the U.S. Constitution as a check on the state legislatures, and voters who don't, if they don't uh, like what the legislators are doing, they could throw them out. She thought those were a better check than uh, what she called activist judges. Response? Uh, for, first, I don't think uh, that you ought to encourage activist judges. I think that the judges ought to interpret the Constitution, uh, and they ought to glean the meaning of legislation, even if not involved in the Constitution, uh, based on what uh, the, the the real intention of the legislature legislatures were. But how can you expect the the, the people to basically be in control of the legislature if the legislature is successful in gerrymandering it so that they can always elect the people uh, that they want to choose them Mm -hmm. so that the ones being elected choose their voters rather than the voters choosing the one being elected. So let me ask you this. Do you think uh, we'd be where we are now with North Carolina having yet another redistricting case before the U.S. Supreme Court? If the uh, state Supreme Court had accepted the 644 map, the second one that the legislature came forward with, rather than the one that was approved. The court determined that they were a political gerrymander, which violated the North Carolina Constitution. Practically, I agree with the court's finding in that case. Uh, All you had to do was run the numbers and you saw that uh, they were a political gerrymander. And our Constitution says uh, that that kind of partisan gerrymandering is not permitted. Where do you come down on this debate uh, of whether the, a win for this so-called independent state legislature theory would make it easier for legislators to approve an alternate slate of presidential electors, so-called fake electors, uh, if they don't like how the people vote in their state vote in the presidential race? Do you think that's real or she call it a scare tactic when we talk, when we ask her about it? It's not a scare tactic. It's something that we've already experienced. There's great discussion going on now as the uh, district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, has been pursuing these fake electors uh, that uh, met after after the uh, voting in Georgia was affirmed uh, by multiple recounts uh, by Republican uh, authorities and Republican officials. And yet, yet the president was calling electors and governors and legislators now, in all of these states, uh, whether it's Arizona, uh, whether it was Georgia, and multiple other states, Wisconsin, asking them to convene their legislatures to reverse the outcome of the election and appoint new electors uh, who would elect him uh, to give that right, that, that power outright to state legislators, again, specifically 
does away with any checks and balances on state legislators in determining what districts ought to look like and districts being fair. Democratic activists have criticized President Biden and Democratic lawmakers for not having an action plan ready to go when, as expected, the high court overruled Roe v. Wade. Do Democrats have a plan if the Supreme Court endorses this Republican strategy to reshape elections, maps, and rules uh, for Congress and maybe president, or are they be outraged? Well, uh, certainly uh, Democrats and all citizens ought to be outraged uh, if they do it. But the plan is to pass legislation that would clearly set forth that state constitutions, as articulated uh, uh, by the Chief Justice Roberts uh, in the Rucho decision, uh, would create a manner and method of review of legislative actions regarding redistricting of congressional districts. However, uh, as has been the case uh, in Washington, uh, where very little gets done, uh, the Democrats can't do it by themselves. Everybody ought to be interested in making sure that we had systems that observed our belief in democracy, uh, systems uh, that did not second guess the citizens and throw out their votes uh, simply by letting state legislators indicate their preference for who should have won. Right now, Republicans aren't cooperating at all or any at all with Democrats and trying to address some of the key issues facing the country. And so in the United States Senate, even if 50 Democrats agreed uh, without any Republicans, you could not pass legislation because of their filibuster rule. So Democrats have a plan, uh, have proposed legislation that would take care of it, uh, but it's, you know, it's a one-way party. The Republicans don't seem to have any desire to fix these challenges to the basic core of our democracy. Let me wrap up, uh, Senator, with this question. Um, if if the U.S. Supreme Court rules with the Republicans and protections against partisan gerrymandering are soon no longer possible in federal or state courts, do you think the fight will shift to the effect of gerrymandering on minority voters? Race has long played a role in creating congressional districts, especially in North Carolina. I, I, I think the impact of this case if, if the Supreme Court goes along with this argument, then the General Assembly will have sole control over redistricting, that they will be able to violate the state constitution uh, when it comes to redistricting uh, in congressional races. They will be able to ignore anything that the constitution provides regarding elections at the federal level. And so they would be able to, 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 to further restrict uh, voting power of minorities. Uh, they could put unreasonable conditions on that voting. Uh, and they could, uh, in fact, deal with things that aren't obvious to you, but they could make it under the guise of federal election stuff. Uh, and that's what makes this thing so dangerous. I think that state constitutional provisions ensuring fair elections the, and banning gerrymandering would be nullified. Uh, that is gerrymandering at the federal level. Independent redistricting commissions uh, would be in jeopardy, and a lot of us have argued for independent judicial commissions. Other state constitutional provisions regarding uh, elections would be thrown into question, at least as they pertain to federal elections. Uh, and states, uh, as I said earlier, that allow gubernatorial veto, uh, then most likely the governors in those states would lose the ability to veto legislation affecting uh, uh, congressional redistricting or legislation affecting anything at the federal level, because that would mean you're just letting legislators, legislatures do it. 
governors are not legislatures. That's part of the reason that historically, when you've talked about legislatures, you've talked about the entire legislative uh, and lawmaking process. Uh, also, voter-led ballot initiatives uh, measures like rain, Maine's uh, ranked choice voting uh, mm -hmm. that they think is very successful up there, uh, or Alaska's top four primary uh, system, uh, they would likely be unable to continue. States that have been very creative in trying to guard against gerrymandering uh, would basically have to go back to the drawing board and start over. Uh, and so I think any, any endorsement or acceptance of this theory would likely lead to future suppression of voting rights of minorities. I mean, we have a pretty strong history uh, and our state courts would be unable to do anything about it. And the only ones who could do something about it would be the legislature, which has done the harm in the first place. Well, Senator Dan Blue, thank you for helping us bring some light to this contentious issue. Thank you for having me on this afternoon. So that was Democratic Senator Dan Blue giving his theory or his view on the independent legislature theory. Jim, Tim, what'd you guys think? I think Tim and the senator made a good point that um, state courts are a necessary guardrail on what the legislature can do. And like they said, it was not just North Carolina, but states in New York, Maryland, and, and Ohio, where, where state courts shot down clearly partisan gerrymanders. You know, and one other point, uh, Jeanette Doran said that um, when I asked her whether there'd be any guardrails on partisan gerrymandering, she said Congress would do it. Well, it's hard to hard to see a more partisan body than Congress uh, now or almost any time. Politicians being what they are, um, I think they would, if, if the Republicans win this thing or if the Democrats win it in other states, essentially, um, they're going to go for broke and we're going to have sort of a, an, a very artificial, the gerrymanders will take a lot of the voice away from the, the voters, I think. It's just hard to elect people that you want if, you, if, you, if you're not, if you're in, so in the minority that you're never, your voice is never heard, I think. What struck me was, again, I, I've kind of talked about this um, earlier, and I'll, I'll bring it up again, that second congressional map that was 644, um, Senator Blue talked about it being unconstitutional. Um, but, you know, a lot of people feel like that was a pretty good map. And we talk about in this country how the increased polarization of both parties, that there are no longer swing districts, moderate voters no longer have a say. And that map, the 644 map, did that. And by uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good map by that measure. And the map that we have instead is much more polarized with uh, really only one or two competitive competitive races. I think Democrats uh, weren't attracted to that 644 map because they feel like or they're worried that this is a year where there could be a wave election for Republicans and therefore they'd get locked in. To, to those wins. So I think the Democrats were hoping probably, you know, get close to a 50-50 uh, map because that's sort of what the state has become. It's a purple state. But next year, I mean, there'll be a new map. And uh, and if there's a Republican Supreme Court or if the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court rules, we'll have a different map that probably favors Republicans and it could favor them 11 to 3. I think, though, Tim, the, the danger in that is that that the, that the legislature, you you attempt to draw a map that is fair overall based on the state's population and, and not draw a map based on to produce an outcome of 
anticipating what the election will be. Right. You know, I think you're right in that in 2022, Republicans might have won all four of those swing seats and might have had a 10-4 advantage. But the flip side is that in 2026, the Democrats might win all four. Um, you know, let's say hypothetical where there's a Republican yeah. president and then suddenly the Democrats have an 8-6 advantage. So I think it, it's hard to to draw maps in anticipation to counter the advantage another party has because it's their year or the party in power is unpopular. I think that's very difficult to do. Well, I agree with you in theory. I wish all 14 seats were up for grabs. It's just uh, we've gotten into a system here where that's not going to happen, probably. So we just broke down the independent legislature theory on both sides on this episode of Inside Politics, Election 2022 on WFAE. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Steve Harrison, along with Jim Morrill and Tim Funk. Thanks again. Thanks again.